0: Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of The Graw Pod. I'm Doug Graw here with Gary Randall, as always. Thank you, Gary, for joining us. I'm looking forward to today's discussion.
1: Hi, Doug. Yeah, I am, too. I'm excited about it, especially with Father's Day coming up. The timing is perfect.
0: That's (laughs) right. I couldn't find a good guest, so I decided to ask my father instead to jump in, and he begrudgingly agreed. But he did say, and I made him promise, that he can't tell all the great stories of how great a baseball player I was when I was little.
1: Those stories are to be shared with no one, Doug.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With that, Gary, I do want to introduce my father. And yes, his name is Don Graw. I am just going to refer to him as dad. I can't really call him anything else. I've played for him. I've worked for him. And obviously, I've been raised by him. And I never was able to use coach. And I was never able to call him Don when I worked for him. So throughout the interview, he will be dad. That's what he always has been to me. I never understood the companies that could do that switch when they're in the office. I can't do it.
2: That's what keeps you in the will.
0: That's exactly <laughs> right. There are singles of dollars available there. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> All right. Joking aside, Garrett, you and I talked about what topic do we want to bring up next? What do we want to cover next? And you and I are hearing a lot from our customers that the market's shifting a little bit. Now, to what degree, it varies depending on kind of what industry your niche is in, but I think you and I, Gary, are hearing a lot of the contract freight remains pretty steady, rates are pretty strong, but in that spot market, there's some softness going on and you've got some customers talking about, hey, we've got some clients, we've got some trucking companies and logistics companies kind of sharpening their skills on their sales development work, their business development work and getting back out there because now it's not just, hey, as long as I tell them I got a truck available, I can charge whatever I want and go wherever i want to go that is kind of starting to change a little bit
1: yeah i think the thinking has become a little bit more strategic again it was just a volume play or a capacity availability play for quite a while and as you mentioned i think we're starting to see the tide turn where there has to be a reason for
0: someone to use you So with that, one thing that we wanted to talk with my dad about is this, how do you differentiate yourself? How do you make a customer want to use you? So dad, before we kind of get into that, a little bit about your background. I know that you've spent a lifetime, a career in distribution, in warehousing, in manufacturing and assembly, serving customers big and small. You've led business units. You've done the business development work for many, many years. You've been a buyer of transportation services for many years. Talk to us a little bit about that. If you are talking to a medium-sized service provider, how should you go about figuring out what's going to differentiate yourself?
2: It really starts with knowing who you are, knowing what you're good at, and quite frankly, knowing what you're not good at. And knowing what you're not good at, is that okay or do I need to get better at it? but to your point the word that you used already that to me is the most important word in any type of business development program sales strategy program is differentiation we talked offline a little bit about who is the typical trucking company competing with now unless you're one of the top 10 guys who are coast to coast and thousands of trucks and that's a whole differentiator by itself but you're not always competing against everybody. You're competing against people that are in your world. And that's what you have to know how you differentiate. I'm sitting in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. If I've got to run a shipment of goods from here to Sioux Falls, Minneapolis, whatever, there's only x number of trucking companies that are working those lanes what differentiates me if nothing differentiates me or i can't define that or i can't convey that it's a price play it's what we've been talking about all along because the buyer just wants the cheapest price he expects the product to get from point a to point b he expects it to get there on time he expects it to get there without quality issue So, hey, I need it to be 10 cents cheaper than the other guy. Is that the world you want to live in? If it is, then you better find a good way to be profitable at it. Good luck with that. Or what are the other things that would differentiate it that would make him want to work with you?
0: I have to laugh at that answer a little bit, Gary, because we've had another Graw member of the family on this, and that's my oldest brother who came from the shipper world. And he would scoff at the notion that any shipper would ever admit that they're only (laughs) concerned about what the price is. No, no, it's about all these other things. And the fact of the matter is both extremes are a little bit off. Shippers do care about some other things. There are some other minimums that you have to be able to do, and there are some other ways to differentiate yourself. But I think it's been said right. If you can't articulate something that is beyond just a price, then you're going to be left having to be a cost hound. And Gary, you've had to be that cost hound. That's a different mentality for a trucking company if you want to just be about cost.
1: Yeah, you better know what you're doing if that's the play, because once you get into competing for cost... Trucking companies are like baseball owners. Baseball owners constantly say, well, I'm not going to pay the guy that much. I'm not going to pay him that much. I'm not going to pay him that much. And then eventually somebody says, oh yeah, but he's a lefty. I got to have him. And next thing you know, the guy gets the contract he wants, right? Well, we're kind of the same way when we look at freight, unfortunately. We look at freight and it does become kind of a cost play for many of us where it's, I won't go that low on the rate. I won't go that low on the rate. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in and undercuts the rate and they get the business. So you have to be positioned where the rate is always going to be important, but the rate becomes less important if you can differentiate yourself like what we're talking about today. One of the ways you can do that is you can be a problem solver. That gets into relationships that you have with the shipper where you really truly understand their business and you know what their pain points are and you start to work to help them resolve their pain point. If you can do that, then you become value added to those people and the cost becomes much less of an issue.
2: A couple things maybe to just add to that, Gary, as well, because you hit on a good point. What are those pain points? Not only what are those pain points, but who and how are those pain points impacted. The person you talk to might recognize there's a pain point, but if it doesn't impact them or if it doesn't have some way of hitting one of his KPIs, it's a mute point. So you've either got to get to that person who is going to truly feel that pain, or you have to be able to demonstrate the cost impact whether it be financial or otherwise, to that company. We talked a little bit about what makes a good salesman in the trucking world. And it is someone who understands the things that you're talking about. What is it that goes on from a cost standpoint, from a logistics standpoint, from a communication standpoint? A huge differentiator in the world that I come from is you could reach somebody from my company somewhere in the world 24-7. My biggest competitor in Philadelphia, can't do that. He's an eight to five East Coast. Now, to some customers, that doesn't make any difference. Well, I work eight to five too. Oh, I've got freight that's got to go from Shanghai to Mumbai. Yeah, he's got to talk to somebody at four o'clock in the morning. Again, getting back to differentiators. And oh, by the way, and we're jumping ahead a little bit, differentiators aren't always the same for every client you're going out to talk to. Case in point, if I'm working eight to five, my competitors working eight to five, the fact that I'm 24-7 doesn't mean anything to them. The fact that I'm in Indian China doesn't mean anything to them. Oh, but it does to that guy who makes a lot of tractors and ships around the world. That's a different differentiator that sets me apart. That's important to somebody at the customer. Maybe not the guy trying to get the lowest rate, but that's going to impact somebody that if all of a sudden, well, wait, I've been doing business with Don Graw all these years. Now I'm not going to do business with him anymore. Tell me why again. How are you going to get my information in a timely fashion and product where it's got to go on time? That's a huge differentiator. So know the differentiator, know who it impacts, and know who's going to make that decision.
1: I think I, that's right on, that know who it impacts piece. I think what you're really saying there, Don, is, is create a champion for your product within their organization. We talk all the time about how our company's successful with new initiatives or sustainable initiatives. It's because there's a champion inside that organization that really carries that message and really believes in it. And if you can be the problem solver for that person in someone else's organization, they quickly become a champion of your company. And pretty soon word spreads within that organization. Don Gras knows how to take care of my issues. Next thing you know, everybody wants to do business with Don Gras. It has a compounding effect, and that can make a huge difference for companies.
0: What I'm hearing from both of you is a lot of good points. And one thing that sticks out to me is this whole notion of you really have to know your customer. You have to know the people. You have to know what's going on in their world, as well as what might be going on, maybe their staffer's world, as well as the people above them. I can think of a client of ours, they were calling on their shipping customer and the sales rep knew, yeah, they cared about price. They did. But man was their CEO on a big green initiatives kick. He was all about how can we be a green company? We didn't really need to do anything different, but we were able to reframe a lot of the things we did for them as green. This is a green thing that we're doing for you. And this is how we're lowering your carbon footprint and so on. Some of that was some equipment things that were truly differentiators beyond that. But we were able to help the people that we dealt with on a day-to-day basis, make a name for themselves inside their organization by helping them lead the way internally on green initiatives. So I think what both of you are saying is you really do have to know your customers and those challenges and help them solve their problems.
2: Want to take a step backwards, though, the conversation kind of started with us talking about those spot buyers and price and the impact. And that is a different world than the contract bid letting and things like that. And we'll talk about that a little later. But the other point that I want to make is you got to be willing to say no. You can't create a differentiator on the fly because you want that spot buy contract. You want that one-time, one-run piece of business. Because if that doesn't fit, and now for whatever reason you fail you don't hit target, you probably haven't made the margin that you felt you should have made in the first place. And now you've also impacted your reputation. It's okay to say no. Everybody can't have every piece of business. Oh, by the way, there's enough to go around. Know what you're good at. It comes in a phone call or an email, right? I need this freight to go out Tuesday. What can you do for me and how much? And he's making six other phone calls. So you got to have something for that type of business. A, do I want it? Can I make money at it? But what are my talking points? Why should I do it for you instead of those other five? Because you know what? You're probably not going to be the lowest price of the six. You can count on one hand in over 30 years in distribution business when I was ever the low price guy. Somebody will always do it cheaper. So you have to be able to articulate it. Sure, happy to talk to you. Thanks for the phone call. Let's just go through a few things. Establish expectations. What is it that you're going to need from the different service levels? Here's how you're going to get it from me. And in order for that, yep, here's my rate. I'll have the quote over
0: to you in 45 minutes. We're good to go. I think that makes a lot of sense because a lot of the most successful companies you see, and I think this goes beyond transportation, but they have a healthy amount of discipline. They're a very disciplined company. Now, that doesn't mean they're not willing to be flexible and grow and dynamic and adjust to whatever the market is taking them, but they're disciplined in their process and how they evaluate business and how they look at things and the things that they're going to find important. Then they can take the chances so much more effectively because they do their homework on the front end rather than I'm just gonna book it and hope it works out. That
2: is the way many sales organizations work, quite frankly. That's not the way the good ones do it.
1: And I think vendors want to deal with companies that they respect. And if you understand your business and you come across as credible toward your own business needs, then they have a reassured feeling that you're going to take care of their business. And that's the type of company that they want to do business with because they know it could turn into a longstanding relationship.
2: Gary, to just put an exclamation point on that. When it comes to the routine aspects of providing transportation services, the guy who's out there soliciting that can go on the internet and probably learn as much as he feels he needs to know to hire a shipper. So you better know what you're talking about. That needs to be a differentiator in and of itself, that I know this business, I know my costs, I know your costs. We both agree that we're in this to make a dollar. Profit's not a bad word, okay? But you're getting value for what I bring to you. And you can only do that if you know what you're talking
1: about. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's that mutually beneficial relationship. Those are the ones that are going to last. Those are the ones that are going to be best for both the shipper and the carrier.
0: That leads me to something that i think is natural in a lot of organizations in this mutually beneficial relationships with our customers and that is this whole notion of this friction that sometimes occurs between sales and ops sales needs to bring in the message from this is what the customer is needing and looking for and all that kind of stuff and operations is coming from the angle of but this is what we do really well and this is why we're gonna be successful and if this pain in the backside shipper would just stop it with this we'd be more successful So the two of you both had a lot of experience both working directly with customers as well as solving significant issues on the floor. How do you maintain healthy friction to keep the business progressing and developing and being good and better and all that stuff versus just spiraling into we all hate each other and we're all fighting all the time?
2: Well, Gary and I were joking before we started. Sales don't like operations, operations don't like sales. What else do you want to know?
1: <laughs> we really weren't joking about that when we were
2: talking. <laughs> but in reality, differentiating isn't just something between you and your customer. That's an internal thing too. Operations needs to know what sales is using to differentiate themselves, just as sales needs to know what operations does that helps to articulate what differentiates them. Somebody sitting on the front line, taking the phone call or processing the sales order is slamming the phone down, pounding their fist on the table going, what the heck are those guys doing to me now? Why won't operations do that? I promised the customer we could. I know we can. Why won't they do that? And the flip side of that is what the heck is sales out there making these promises for when you know we can't do that? You know we're at capacity that week or that day or whatever. It's not going to happen. So there has to be that defined knowledge of what each other is capable of doing. Sales has to know operations. This is what we can do. This is what we might be able to do. And this is what we can't do. Don't make promises you can't keep. Then operations needs to support sales in that: listen, we agreed this was a differentiator. We agreed this is what we can do. Get it done. And you know what? That starts at the top of the company. That's the president. That's the CEO pulling his VP of sales and VP of operations into his office and sitting down and going, okay, guys, what are we good at? What differentiates us? Because that's how we're going to go to market. And it is amazing. It just blows my mind how seldom that happens. You hire a bunch of people to do operations, they do operations. You hire a bunch of fast-talking guys to go out and sell, and they go sell. The only time they ever talk to each other is when they're pointing fingers at each other.
0: And Gary, I know you're a big believer in what you always called them with your clients are reprioritization meetings. And that is not the only place to talk about that kind of stuff, but that's a tool you've used to make sure ops and sales are getting back on the same page on a regular basis.
1: Yes, Doug, we did have those reprioritization meetings and where we found them to be helpful. One of the reasons why I believe in them so strongly is that it forces people to the table to sit down and talk about the reality of the business relationship. No one goes out or rarely do they go out and try to sell something that the company just absolutely can't do. So the salesman's gone out and he's sold services with the belief that we're going to make money and that we're going to be able to provide service for that piece of the business. The operations people don't go into the day saying, how am I going to mess this up today? But what happens over time is sometimes things just don't line up like you want them to. And if you're not talking about it and if you're not trying to work together to find improvements You're probably going to lose the business first of all, and it's going to do nothing for that relationship between sales and ops. So what we tried to do with those reprioritization meetings really was inspect what we were expecting. Don, you went out and sold this piece of business. Here's how you told us it was going to operate. This was the volume we were going to get. These were the lanes that we were going to be tendered the loads for. Now, we've been handling the business for a quarter, and what we're seeing is less volume than we anticipated, or we're seeing the right amount of volume, but maybe we're not getting the loads that we thought we'd bid on. So let's talk about that. What's that do to our network and what are we going to do to try to go back? First of all, were we bidding on the right thing? If we would have got that business, would we be happy with our network? If the answer is yes and we're not seeing that business, then that points out the fact that we've got to go back into that customer and try to understand what happened with that bid. If we can't meet the operations, the service expectations, it gives us a chance to kind of dig into that and understand why the freight was supposed to be ready to go at eight o'clock every morning and the delivery appointments were based on that. In reality, we're seeing that the freight's available at about one o'clock in the afternoon. And we're going to have to make some kind of an adjustment to those preset appointments. It just gives you an opportunity to really dissect the business and make sure that what you thought you sold, you're getting, and make sure that how you thought you were going to be able to successfully operate it is actually happening. And if we're failing in either one of those two sides, it gives the two groups a chance to get together and figure it out to come up with the solution that they're looking for.
2: 100% right. I think a word that you used early on in that is Expectations. There has to be an understanding of expectations internal, just as there has to be an understanding of expectations external customers got certain expectations. You, because of your business knowledge of how it works and where the costs are and whatever, you're able to work with that customer on setting those expectations. Same thing internally. Internally, you know what the capabilities are and you're able to set those expectations. If the expectations need to change, it's not sales who just willy-nilly says we're going to change it. There has to be buy-in. There has to be the total agreement that it be done successful companies. We joke about the whole sales versus operations thing. And also in my world, I'll throw a third element in it, throw a room of engineers in there. Now you got sales engineers and operations. But at the end of the day, if you've got a well-defined business plan, quite frankly, what is it that we do? What is it that we do well? What is it that we're going to go out and differentiate ourselves with to the marketplace? You can get along. (laughs) You can get along very nicely. It's a challenge.
0: It's a great point about the defined business plan. It's, I don't know, surprising is the right word, but something that I've noticed over the years, there are many longtime trucking companies that have done well, do well, and so forth. And if you start to ask them about, well, what is your business plan? What is your market? What are your differentiators and all that kind of stuff? They don't have great answers, which in many ways you might say, I kind of tip my cap to how good you've still been, despite not really being able to answer those questions very well. But also, what you tend to see with some of those companies are they're in a little bit of a rut and maybe haven't been able to take the next step in whatever tier, whatever stage they're at. One of the fundamental questions that always comes up in trucking is it's the capacity versus the network. There's one school of thought was, hey, I'm going to go get capacity and then go find freight that goes around it. The other thought is I'm going to go find freight and then go try to find capacity that can serve it. I think either one can work. It's a matter of having that thought out plan making sure everybody's on the same page And you're all going down that path. That's what you're doing. And if everybody knows those things, I know something that both the two of you believe in and have seen succeed tremendously is when your people know those things, they become so much more trustworthy to the client and the client, for lack of a better phrase, lets them a little bit closer. And when you get a little bit closer, you have so much more influence over that business, especially that contract business or those mini contract businesses, those projects that come up where sometimes you can charge a little bit more because there's a special need to it. Talk a little bit about what you can do with that little bit extra close relationship. By the way, I'm not talking about anything where we're starting to exchange dollars. Trucking has a reputation from a generation or two ago. No, not that world. We're just talking about having a good working relationship with a customer.
2: A word that we use in my world is sandbox. Sandbox. So whether you're talking internally, sales versus operations, externally, me versus my clients, is knowing your sandbox. It goes to that business plan. What sandbox do you play in? You can't call the Florida coastline your sandbox. That's a lot of sand. But you do have very specific to the example that you were just trying to give. If you're a capacity guy, then that's your sandbox. And then you build around that. If you're a freight specialist, that's your sandbox then you can build around that. But it would be interesting, again, going back to that internal question, if you asked your operations people, if you asked your sales people, if you asked your financial people, define the sandbox that XYZ trucking company plays in, what answer would you get? Goes back to the beginning of the podcast. Who are you? What differentiates you? Does everybody understand it? The more you understand, the more you're going to understand your business, the more that's going to relate to your customers and your clients. And oh, by the way, the more of that that you can convey, the more profitable that business becomes. Without any of those things, right back to the beginning, it's a price play. How low are you willing to go?
1: I think what I hear when I listen to Don speak, that was really well said. And what pops into my head when I listen to that is the company needs to ask themselves, do we want to be a vendor or do we want to be a resource? Because if we want to be a vendor, we can do that, but it's going to be a transactional relationship, probably based on price and the sustainability of that relationship, the, the likelihood of sustainability is probably pretty low. But if we can become a resource, if we can understand ourselves, and then if we can work to understand the customer's issues and become a champion to help them with those issues, then we become a resource. We probably have a better chance of getting the true price that we want because they see value added in that relationship. And the longevity of that relationship has a much greater chance to exist versus just that transactional day-to-day relationship.
0: I think what the two of you continue to harp on is this ability to be on the same page so that you're not just selling. You're talking to the customer. You've got credit, for lack of a better phrase. When the customer hears you talk, they know you know what you're talking about. And you become that resource that you said, Gary. And resources can be trusted. When you are a trusted resource, you get access a little earlier on and you can make that access work for you. Talk a little bit about how that can work for you in the contract world. When you're talking about RFPs and the bids and so on, what can you do when you are a resource and not a vendor in the bid world?
2: Well, you're really talking to the heart of the world that I've come from. The vast majority of our business was long-term contract OEM business, working with major original equipment manufacturers. In the quoting process, the RFP process, whatever the acronym buzz of the day is, customers send those out, again, with the intent of getting the best deal for them. I'm not even gonna use the word price at this point because we all agree there's other factors that go into it. But what's the best deal? If you are that trusted resource, if you are talking to the right person, the decision maker, not just that emotional buyer, you're in on the front end of that RFP, If you can help write the specs that they're looking for, what a huge advantage that can give you. First guy in wins is a term that I used to use with our sales guys all the time. The second guy, the third guy, the fourth guy, we used to call that column fodder. They have to send this out to four different places, get four different bids. Well, I really want Don to get it. Don, here's my proposal. Take a look at it. Help me tweak it help me fix it. Well, of course, I'm going to find my differentiators because it's what differentiates me from everybody else, and I'm going to make that part of the spec, which is going to make it really difficult A for them to meet the spec or to meet it at a price point that I can do it at. Doesn't make me cheaper, but makes me more cost effective. So, again, all the things that Gary was talking about with that relationship and that trust and the confidence that the customer has that you know what the heck you're doing. That's the phone call that you really want. RFP is coming. It's not coming until next week. Let's talk about it now. Versus here's your RFP. You got till Friday at three o'clock to get it to me. You don't win many of those. That's not easy to do. I'll say there's a talent to be able to get to that point, to be able to do that. We mentioned at the very beginning, the very best transportation sales guys that are out there and how well they know their business and what they do. Not just their company, but they know the business. They know
0: the client's business as well. To that example, they know that they can go back internally and say, okay, you're going to see columns A through M and we need to fill it out. Don't get me wrong. Every column's got to be filled out. But you know what? I know the decision makers. They care about L and G. If we win L and G and we need to do it this way, and this is the narrative to sell and all that kind of stuff, we can do well. That's what they need to know.
2: Yes, absolutely. The rest of it is just stuff that's got to be done. We've alluded to it throughout this podcast, but that pain point, that decision maker. If you don't do L and you don't do it well, who's going to be impacted on that? How is that going to show on the financial statement? How is that going to show in operations? Whose neck is sitting out there because it wasn't done well? The more you can know about how that's impacted, the more then you can spin that to fit your differentiator and frankly charge for it.
0: You've hit on something there that I really want to get into, and that is you mentioned the top talent in the industry. This is what they know. This is what they can do and so on. You stopped being a part of direct sales a long time ago, and you became a sales leader and a people leader and executive leader a long time ago. I always had the impression that's where you got really fired up and enjoyed it. You like identifying that talent and developing it and so on. I know a lot of people are always begging for talent in a variety of areas, and that includes business development. What would you recommend to companies that are looking to add or grow or develop internal talent and external talent when it comes to business development?
2: Well, the first thing before we start talking about people is you do have to define who you are. You need to have that business plan. You need to have those differentiators. If you haven't done that part of it, if you don't have that foundation, I don't care who you hire. They're not going to be able to go out and sell it. Now you're just going out there. and Have I got a deal for you? Call me. Let's go have a hamburger and I'll tell you how wonderful I am. That's not where your long-term profitable business comes from. If it was easy to find that person, or if I had the magic bullet for it, I'd be in pretty high demand. There's a lot of different assessments that's done out there. And because of some of the terms I've used, I should probably credit anyway. But another Minnesotan, Terry Slattery, CEO of the Slattery Sales Group, is about as good as it comes when it comes to developing, the old buzzword used to be the consultive sale, the complex sale. Someone who's willing to learn. You don't have to go out and hire a trucking expert. You got to hire somebody who can ask the right questions, get the right answers, get agreement, if you will, on expectations. You go back 40 years ago, and I was working for Sears selling hardware equipment. It was, here's the features, here's the benefits, you should buy this. You never ask the question is, well, how big a drill do you need? Why do you need it? You just didn't ask the questions. You just, hey, look, it's on sale. Look what I got. Here's what it does. There's still a lot of people that sell that way. The old feature benefit story. Some guys can be successful with it. But the people who take on the ability to build relationships, the ability to learn your customer as well as yourself and understand the business, That's where you're going to be successful. It's not going to be a 90-day program that they're going to be an expert. You can put them out and have them start making calls for you in 90 days. But the more they know about the industry, the more they know about you, the more they know about the customer so that they can demonstrate those differentiators, come to an agreement on expectations, that guy will be successful.
0: And Gary, I think back, some of the best sales reps I've known in trucking, all of them were personable and polite enough and you can carry on a perfectly fine conversation. Again, they're professional and courteous and good communication skills and so on. But one I would describe is he's a little bit of a buddy guy. He can do the entertaining and all that kind of stuff and some of that stereotype. But a lot of them, it's not that they're these great entertainers and schmoozers and golfers or whatever. It's that they do ask great questions. They always follow up. That's never a question of whether or not they're going to follow yeah. up. They know their message. They know what they're trying to get. And I think something that you believe in a lot, Gary, that's something that you've experienced a lot of success with is a lot of times those are people that came out of other parts of the business that didn't just come in straight as sales. You're a big believer in the coaching tree and where your coaching tree can lead. I think you've had a lot of success with that. Yeah, I think it leads credibility to the
1: sales guy. I think if that salesperson can come in and truly talk the talk with the customer because they've been in manufacturing, they've been in operations, they've been in recruiting, they've been in other areas of the industry, so they've got that experience that they become usually a better listener because they're interested because they've done other things. They've got that experience where they can probably look at some situations and offer solutions. And because of those first two things, they just come across as caring more. So the customer wants to have that relationship with them because when the customer gives you a piece of business, they're entrusting you that you're going to do a good job with it. And if it's a guy who comes in to see him, who just talks really fast and can rattle off a bunch of statistics, well, that's kind of a transactional guy. If someone comes in and talks to me and I really get the feel that they understand the business because of their past experience. And as importantly or more importantly, they care about my business, then that's somebody I probably want to develop a long-term business relationship with. I do think that helps.
0: And I like the word, we probably should have used it a lot more throughout this podcast is you used a great word, which is listen. They have the mm-hmm. ability to listen. They can listen internally. They can listen externally. They can listen critically to really hear what the real pain points are and come up with those solutions. So that ability to listen effectively and listen critically is huge. And obviously they care. I think when you're looking at talent if for any part of the business, it's really hard to teach people to show up and to care. You can teach trucking stuff. You can teach operation stuff. You can teach a lot of things. Really hard to just teach someone to care about doing a good job and care about taking care of their customers or being good for their company. And it's tough to just teach someone how to show up. And I don't mean physically show up, but also just be there and be present and be engaged and all those kinds of stuff. Those two things are really tough to teach. And I'll digress a little bit. My dad and our family has a very, very thin, small tie to a coach in Eastern Iowa. If anybody ever really wants to read him, truly remarkable. There's a small high school in Eastern Iowa called Applington Parkersburg. And it's one of those schools where if the two towns together have 2,000 people, I'd be amazed. But they've produced, I want to say five or six NFL players. And it's like, how in the world was this little town produced five or six NFL players? Side note, three of them are brothers. So maybe just one family deserves a lot of the credit. But aside from that, they had this coach and he coached a lot of things in the town. And he's got a remarkable story, a truly tragic ending to his life, but a remarkable story. And he was a big believer. And he said, I can do anything with two characteristics. If you can show up and if you can care, I can make you into the greatest football player of your entire life. And I can make you a great human being, a great husband, a great father, a great everything, but I can't do those two things for you. And I just love that message. Ed Thomas, Napleton Park, an amazing story if anybody ever wants to look it up. Sports Illustrated did a great profile on him. Last thing I want to get into is as we talk about talent and we talk about development a little bit, I know some transitions that you've led organizations through, Dad, was going from we're really reliant on one or two customers to, hey, that customer is still important, we didn't kick them to the curb, but we successfully maintained a good relationship with them while becoming less and less reliant by adding other customers, diversifying our business, and so on. Talk a little bit about that, and if I'm looking at my customer sheet right now and going, holy crap, if these two customers ever stop liking me or their business turns south, I'm gonna have some problems. Talk a little bit about that transition.
2: So maybe just in the spirit of some credibility, I'll put some numbers to preface this. When I went to work for ESP, we were about a seven and a half million dollar top line company. Over half of that was one really big tractor manufacturer that I probably shouldn't mention the name of, but you can figure it out. We grew when I retired to $110 million. That tractor company went from being over half our business to less than a third of our business. By the way, that's $30 million. It grew very nicely too. To me, there are some certain givens in a business relationship, and a personal relationship, whatever the case may be. The old golden rule, treat others as you treat yourself kind of thing. We treated every customer as if they were that customer. And then we got really good at knowing markets, knowing customers, knowing industries. My business life was the ag market. Because of a couple acquisitions we did the last 10 years of my career, I had to learn the oil and gas market. Now, all I knew about oil and gas was it used to be $2 a gallon that I put in my car. I had no idea what made a frack pump work. I had no idea the hazards of offshore drilling and all that. Still not real good at it, but I know enough to talk about it. We diversified. We focused on customers other than that one customer while continuing to serve that customer very well, continuing to expand because of needs that needed to be met for that customer and then carried it across the board. Well, if they need it, If they want it, how can I provide that to this guy and that guy and the next one down the road? Now you're doing it for four people, five people, six people. You're not just doing it for one. An awful lot of things that we did and we innovated at our company was because that one customer wanted it, needed it. We're having coffee and they go, what if? And then those what ifs become a reality. And you find out that, oh, okay, well, that reality plays across the board but it still comes down to that knowledge and it comes down to that focus. If you're the leader of the organization and you need to diversify, you need to grow, you need to be able to define that. You can't just hire a bunch of sales guys and say, hey, go get me more and hope for the best. you get some flash in the pans, but it's not going to fly. So, repeating ourselves over and over again. What are we really good at? How does that impact the market? Who needs it? Who wants it?
0: And Gary, you see our client's go through these transitions regularly as well, where their top 10 fluctuates a little bit. Who's in their top 10? Somebody from 21 goes up to number 10 or whatever. You've seen a lot of fluctuation. You've led organizations through a lot of fluctuation as well. There's a lot of trucking companies that are going to start having some conversations that go along the lines of, hey, shipper, would love to do more business with you. And shipper saying, well, when I called six months ago and I needed help, you didn't serve my freight because I know that you're serving bill down the street. I know that he's your number one and I know I'm not going to get picked. So why should I give you my business now? Because you need it. We know those conversations are going to be happening. But Gary, I know that you're also a believer in that golden rule thing and like just take care of people and it'll work out for you. You say a lot of times, I got to deal with the hand that I get every day. That's what you do in operations. I get a hand and I got to play it. How do you play that hand and still maintain those good relationships and make sure everybody feels like they are a number one? So you aren't just dropping the ball for everybody, but your top two or three. So in the
1: example that you're given, you may not have enough trucks for the freight volume that's available. And that goes back to really understanding no one's going to be happy if you miss their load. But it goes back to understanding your customer and understanding the lanes that that customer ships and really how important that on-time delivery is to that customer and to their customer, to the consignee. So I think if you can have damage control by truly understanding their business and understanding what's important to your customer, and then I think the second piece of it is you can't mess it up twice. Our rule of thumb was, we're going to drop the ball once in a while. We're going to miss some freight once in a while. We don't want to do that, but it's going to happen. When it happens, it's how we react to it. First of all, before it happens, we need to be communicating, we're short today. We're not going to wait until they call us. We're going to reach out to them and let them know ahead of time that we're short. That's respectful of their options because it could give them time to find another carrier. We may have to go into some kind of a arrangement where the other carrier pulls our trailer because it's already loaded, but we're providing them some options. We're letting them continue to service their customer. And I think if you can clearly communicate ahead of time, what's going to happen that that's important. And I think you can't pick on the same people if you want to look at it that way. You can't let something bad happen to the same customer or for sure the same load two days in a row. That's where it becomes an issue.
0: And a little bit of lawyer talk here for a second. If you do have a brokerage arm, the one advantage to running business through your brokerage arm is your brokerage arm has the legal authority to broker the load. So you can call that customer and say, I'm sorry, Linda, I don't have my own truck for this today, but I know I can still get it covered, but I'm going to need to broker it. Just want to make sure you knew that before I did it. Then you're calling them with the problem and the solution. If you don't have the brokerage arm, that's a little bit different discussion. But if you have that brokerage service, that's a reason why a lot of asset companies have the brokerage services so they can do just that. I think that is so important. And the point that you made that you're
1: calling them with the solution And to play on that, you're communicating the solution. The mistake you see some carriers make is they don't have a truck, so they put the load on, and it's loaded on a trailer. They put it on the rail. Two days later, the customer is wondering where the freight is, and someone's having to explain, we know we told you it was going to go down the road, but instead it's on the tracks. It's going to be there in three days. That's a problem. You didn't solve anything for them. Yeah, you moved the load. But you created a problem maybe for them by doing that. And you certainly created a problem in your relationship with them because you didn't communicate and you tore down that trust that you had between the two
2: companies. I like what both of you are saying about provide the solution. I used to have a saying within our group, if you don't take care of the customer, somebody else will. They're going to get a solution. So you either provide it or you don't. How do we summarize some of the things that we've talked about to the example we have here? If you don't call them ahead of time and offer that solution and or give them a reason, they're the ones that are going to call you later. And that reason becomes an excuse. Nobody likes excuses. To help keep that from happening, again, we talked earlier about expectations. Set those expectations. I had it drilled into me many, many, many years ago. Under promise, over deliver. It's amazing how that will carry you a long way.
0: Well, with that, thank you, Dad, for joining us today. I think we had some really good feedback, some really good ideas and tips and narratives for our clients and for our audience to consider. Unfortunately, like we talked at the beginning of this, Gary, I think the market might be shifting a little bit. To what degrees and how fast and so forth? Who knows? will let other people prognosticate about that. I do think the market is still good for trucking, but I think this is timely to kind of be thinking about, okay, how are we going to differentiate ourselves? What is going to be our message? And how are we going to know our stuff internally first? Make sure we're all on the same page and going out there and telling the same story and looking for the same business and adding the same business. I think what it really
1: comes down to is you're going to handle your customer's business the way you'd want your business to be handled. It's understanding what's important to them and it's making it important within your organization. If you can do that, you're going to have good, long-lasting relationships with your shippers in any type of market, whether it's busy or it's slow, whether the rates are low or the rates are coming back down. You're going to have good, long-term, sustainable business if you can treat it that way.
0: Well, thank you everyone for listening in. This is a summer podcast. I hope you're having a great, safe and fun summer and I hope you keep having it. Thank you everyone. Be safe out there.